Well, it's great to have everybody here today, and and uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. We say, and uh, and honored of uh, Memorial Day tomorrow. Um, we are going to be at a um, we're going to be at a holiday that a lot of us, if we're not careful, becomes another day of just. You all right over there, bro? You doing good? good? Doing good. All right. You're done, music boy. Going. So. <laughs> anyway, uh, but you know, if we're not careful, Memorial Day just becomes uh, to to us what it becomes a lot of people, which is like you know. Well, this is when you know you get charcoal cheap at Lowe's, or you get you know get some hamburgers, buy one get one, or something. Um, I think what's uh, uh, what's important is for those of us to remember what Memorial Day is about and why it's so important. Could you guys hear me? Okay, I feel like it's just like I don't I lost my volume, but are you got you hear okay. Um, you know, I look, I, I see uh, Jen. I see you got you. You have a, a new puppy today, right? A new, a new one. I didn't know you could do a new one. So Huey Valor is now serving. You've trained puppy for wounded warriors and and became a big dog. And now you have a new one. And, and I think it's a reminder that there are men and women who have sacrificed a great deal to give us what we have. Uh, you know, for those few weeks, like when Shale mentioned uh, the, the postcards we've been mailing out and our volunteers in the office have been mailing out a little bit at a time. And, you know... It's not an accident that Turkey just became the country, became, and a lot of countries became uh, the way under tyrannical powers. It's because the right did not win. And for this, in this country, for 200-something years, we have held on. I mean, we're, we're a young country in a scheme of things, but the reality is, in this world's progression of technology and the way things move so fast, we have held on. And our shores have been defended on other shores, you know, and we, you know, I think I think what hit me one time. I was at Arlington National Cemetery. is two hundred and forty thousand graves, and if you go out there right now, you'll see that soldiers uh, today or last night, I'm not sure, would have gone out and they would they'd put their boot up against a tombstone right in the middle, and right in back of the heel, place an American flag on all two hundred and forty thousand tombstones. And that flag will be there for 24 hours. And then thousands of troops will go and retrieve those flags. And it's, it's, it's beautiful when you look around those fields. And somebody told me one time something that stuck in my mind, and I'll never forget it. They said that uh, as beautiful as these fields are, and they are stunning. I mean, just you can't, it takes your breath away to see the linear fashion of the tombstones everywhere you can see. Yeah, but they said, for those who died in combat, it didn't look like this. Their last sight was not pristine and in order. I can't imagine the hell that was around them when they fell. I can't imagine what it was like to to be in a to 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 crash to your dying breath, and I don't know what that is like. Those of you who served along men and women who gave everything. But as who we are as Creekside, can we just take a moment? I think if there was a family in here, and um, I know there is Annie Mitchell, your first husband, um, died in the Korean War. And uh, we stand here in honor of of people that, that walk in here who've lost people lost someone who was a husband, uh, who was a, a father, a brother, sister, it, I would think you would expect us to stop and remember. And so before we go any further, before we move into the message, can we just do that?
We just pray with me. Lord, we thank you for coming into a church, Lord, that we gather together as believers in you. We gather together in hope in you. The recognizing this world is not the end for our faith and our life. But Lord, we walk in here freely. We didn't have to look in a rearview mirror to wonder if we were being followed. We didn't have to turn our, our phones off to a different location so that we wouldn't be tracked, as is done all over the world right now. Lord, we walk out of here and we can say grace at a table at a restaurant without fear of reprisal. But Lord, these things are done because of your sovereignty and also because of the service of loyal men and women who defend a freedom. And Father, for all those whose tomorrows were cut short so that we could have today, we say thank you. For a moment we pause in the activity of life and we remember. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of so many. Thank you, Jesus, that we have this freedom. And thank you, Lord, that we're able to worship, study your word like we are today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for letting us do that. And if you would and turn in your Bible to the book of John or turn on the book of the Bible in, in your app to the book of John, we're going to be in John chapter 5. Shale taught through um, the last bit of, uh, of chapter 4 and, and beginning of 5 last week. And we're going to walk through and go through some of these verses in just a minute. Uh, and again, if you're new with us here, hey, we have an offering box in the back. We are... Uh, we have a lot of weaknesses in our church. One of the strengths is we certainly don't beat up the issue of money on you all the time. And so we sometimes we forget to say, oh, by the way, there's an offering box. But if you're a visitor, that offering box is not for you. The one thing we'd love for you to drop in there is a card that says it has your name and address and email. Write it out legibly, Amy Sane, please, so we can read it. But put that in there so we just put your email. Nobody's going to knock on your door, I promise. And, uh, and w- the most you'll get from us is a welcome email and a letter and, and just a connection to say when things are going on and when things are canceled or whatever, different, different events that are happening. So anyway, if you'd remember to do that, because uh, I often forget to, to tell you guys. Um, and if you're new here as well, you're probably wondering, you know, like, hey, wh- what do who are we as a church? How do we preach? How we preach is we take a book of the Bible and we, we walk through it from beginning to end. We'll walk through every verse. If, we, if you see us summarize a few verses, we're going to hit some, uh, like if we, if we get into lineage chapters or something like that, we could pretty much say, oh, you know, Nehemiah 11 through whatever, or 9 through something and so, is, is this. And so we just kind of move on. But it, it does take us a little while. We don't have an, an end date as far as when is the book of John going to be up. We know we'll be in John chapter 6 next week, 21 chapters, so we're moving ahead. But... The reason for that is because there's an allowance of the Holy Spirit to move in the messages. There may be a time when you get to something like, just I think we need a little bit more time. Now, I'm covering a lot of verses, uh, verses 16 through 47. And there are a lot of great ministers. I was talking to some friends last night, and I was telling them, I said, you know, like you get John MacArthur talking about this stuff. He'll, he'll take, you know, he would take nine weeks to preach on these verses. You're not going to get that because we're not as smart as like a John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul or John Piper or one of these other, you know, I mean, we are just going to walk through and, and walk you through the different areas of the scripture, what it means. In this particular case, Jesus is speaking the major, the, pretty much from verse 19 on. So these are his words. So we'll walk through his words. Then we're going to stop, explain kind of just some concepts around it, talk about it. 
and that's just kind of how we teach in here. So anyway, um, Martha, it's good to have you. I don't call out a lady's age often, but when you're 98 years old, let me tell you what. I said to Martha, she walked in, and I said, uh, you know, I told Martha and daughter, I'm like, look, you don't have to, you don't have to stand in here. We've got a really cool policy that if you feel like sitting, it could be your back or it could be spiritual, it could be whatever. You, you're okay. You sit. There's no rule. You've got to stand. She said, that's all right, because I can't stand. So anyway, Martha, you, um, I don't take it lightly at... Uh, to see somebody who's near a centurion, as uh, what do you call it? a centurion? Is that no? It would be a Roman guard, but a Roman soldier. But, but what do you call it? Uh, somebody who hits a hundred? Yeah, is that? Yeah, I said she was that when she was growing up. So I can't believe that for a bit. But uh, but anyway, um, as they see someone knocking on the door, being a hundred, and to watch you and your fervor and your light. We went out for your ninety-eighth birthday, and the server just you know. Just you, you just ministered right to the server alone. Everybody you get around, you minister to. So, you know, even in the rain, here you are, and it means a lot. So, thank you. We we love you, and I just want you to know that as we look at these verses, we're going to do a little cap review. Shale, you talked about a, a man who was healed on a Sabbath. The man is thirty-eight years old. He's healed trying to get to this body of water. And what stuck out to me was when you asked the question last week, you said, when the water gets stirred and there was this rumor that somehow uh, an angel touched it and the water was rippling, there were healing powers, and you said, what happens with that water? What would happen if that water was getting rippled? And somebody from the back of the room said, every man for himself. And it stuck in my mind to think, every man for himself. And of course, there are times in your life with, you know, you you could see that would be appropriate. At a time like that, how horrendous to think that nobody showed compassion on this 38-year-old lame man if they truly believed these waters could heal, that nobody would help him. Yet Jesus helped him. Jesus does something, in fact, when he looks over at this 38-year-old man, he had compassion. He goes over to him and he heals him, gets him up. He, he stands there, and then all of a sudden he takes this mat, and he rolls this mat up, and he, he goes to the temple. So now in studying this message, like there's, it's interesting to think how many learned individuals have different ideas and different perceptions on what that meant. Like, man, did this guy, why did he go to the temple? People were asking him, who did this? And he, he was explaining, Jesus did this. Did, were they, was this guy turning Jesus in? I mean, one guy, I know for sure, one commentator said, man, this guy, the complacency, the, 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 the nerve of this man who's just healed to go in and turn in the name of Jesus to the, to the temple. I don't think, this is Jake speaking right now. This is not, this is Jakeology. I always say that. I don't think that was the man's intent was to go turn Jesus in. I think it was more, um, more dullness and innocence than it was um, by act of volition to turn in Jesus. So he goes to this temple, I think, to worship God. I mean, the man's walking. He goes in there and he, he, people ask who did this. Um, let's pick up in verse 16. And then we'll start breaking this down. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Okay, now stop. Oh, let's go back to 16. Uh, anytime you see in the book of John when Jesus says the Jews. Keep in mind, John's a Jew. Right? His disciples are Jewish. Jesus is re- recognized as a rabbi. Whenever he says the Jews throughout the entire book of John, he is meaning the arch enemy of Jesus. 
So he says the Jews, that's the arch enemy who's pursuing Jesus. And so he goes on to say, the Jews are persecuting. Oh, go back. I'm sorry. You're doing good. I'm the one that keeps doing. No, you're doing fine. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. These things, these things, healing a man on the Sabbath. The Jews are going after him, the, 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 the Jewish leaders who wanted the demise of, of Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17. Verse 17 says, but then Jesus answered them, my father is working into now and I am working. So here's a crowd, no compassion, see a man who needs healing. They don't offer him any help. Jesus steps in with compassion. What what do these Jewish leaders see? Do they see a, a man that can walk? No, they see a man who's broken the rules and broken the laws of rolling up his mat. So I don't care if you've been a believer for 40 years or you're not a believer and you're sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? You're absolutely right. If you think that is absurd, you're correct. Um, If you were to drive through an Orthodox neighborhood in Brooklyn, or you go through an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood in Israel, you'd go through and you don't do anything on the Sabbath. You You wouldn't touch a thing. And you think it's strict now. Then at this time, there were 39 rules and regulations regarding the Sabbath that they could not do. 39. Jesus goes in to reason with, so he finds this man who's healed, which is pretty cool, large temple, thousands of people, goes in, finds him, and looks at him and starts talking to him. And he says, how you doing? And Jesus has a discourse with him. He says, you don't need to be you don't need to be living this life anymore. It just starts like correcting the man. And meanwhile, the Jewish leaders are gathering around. Jesus is now starting to talk to them. And he is about to talk to them about the Sabbath. About the craziness of what they're doing. So keep in mind, all they're concerned about is, you ready for this? Not that, oh, by the way, there's a man walking, embarrassed us. We can't now answer to this. What they're saying is, how could, how could he possibly roll up his mat on the Sabbath. That should blow a logical mind to think. If you were to go through one of those orthodox neighborhoods and think, you see somebody breaking a defibrillator, working on somebody, trying to, trying, trying to bring them back and resuscitate them, can you imagine anyone walking over and kicking the person and stopping a person trying to do life support and say, how could you do this on the Sabbath? You or I would probably jump on that person, take him out, and get the other person back into rescue. I mean, we, our mind can't even wrap itself around a people who are saying, no, there are 39 rules and regulations. You cannot roll this mat up on the Sabbath. Okay, so let's divorce the fact that, that this man is now walking. Forget the miracle. All we're talking about now is the Sabbath. Jesus goes in. Catch this word in verse 17. Jesus answered them. He did not defend anything. He, by the way, they are, it, well, here's what's interesting. They are not concerned with Jesus at this moment. Their focus is on this poor guy in the temple who's now walking and they're grilling him. And keep in mind, if you're lame, 
you really, you were a pariah of society. They looked at you as like, man, you must have done something really bad. 38 years, you can't walk your entire life. What were your father's sins? What were your sins? You're nothing. Now this poor man who had no sense of security, now this poor guy who was probably an introvert to no idea, somebody who was shy, somebody who, who felt like he had no value, is now getting grilled for the fact that he rolled up his mat after he stood for the first time in his life. You talk about... A kangaroo court. You talk about one of the worst trials anybody could be put under. And Jesus walks in and he doesn't walk in and start defending. Well, you know, because he could have had a defense. If you looked at this as an attorney, let's say you were to break this down as a lawyer and you were to say, I wonder how I could have defended the man's action of rolling up the mat. You could have. You could have done it by saying this. You could have said he was not in the industry of selling mats. He wasn't selling mats, so he could roll it up. It wasn't like he was selling them, so as an individual, he could have done that. Jesus does not go in and start reasoning, with, well, you know, I think if you look at the, at the possibilities of what is allowed on the Sabbath, he answers them directly, and he says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Another huge word when he says, my father. Up to this time, never in scripture have the words, my father, been uttered publicly. For the entire Jewish history, it has always been our father. Our father. Priests have always said, we worship our father. People have always said, well, our father in heaven. Now Jesus comes on the scene, he says, my father. Verse 18. This is uh, why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, verse 18 is very powerful in the fact, again, you see the term, uh, the the Jews, right? Arch enemy. We're seeking more to what? Not to arrest him, but to kill him. I want you to remember that in the back of your mind when we get to a certain verse a little bit further down. He was seeking they, all these Jews, these Jewish leaders, were seeking to kill Jesus. I want you to picture in your mind this. You have somebody, a group, not an individual, not some lone lunatic, but there is a group of people that if authorities came to you and said someone is trying to kill you, they're actively seeking how to kill you in a place. Not one, not two, a large group of people. They will scatter themselves They will wait for you. And I want you to picture in your mind what would it be like for you to walk into the house where you live, where you to get into your car and turn on the key to the ignition, to walk in this room and always wonder who is trying to kill you. Jesus, in his entire adult ministry, walked around with the knowledge people were out to kill him. Jesus removed himself many times, removed people from scenes many times because he knew that moment was coming and he would just simply separate. In this particular case, um, the Jews were telling him, boy, they were trying, they're, they're saying, you're calling yourself equal with your father. You're making yourself equal with God. And by the way, when Jesus is now being tried before his crucifixion, this is what they brought up. This is the conversation. This conversation was brought up at the trial to say he compared himself to God. He actually said he was on equal par with God. So these words Jesus is using are going to be used by the prosecution for his his death on the cross. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, watch these words, truly, truly. John records this a lot. 
Truly, truly is something where Jesus is saying, stop everything and listen to me. What I'm about to say is so profound, you're not going to hear anything more profound than these words on this particular subject. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Watch this next line. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Capture this now. And greater works than these God will show me so that you will marvel. God's going to show me some amazing things and you're not going to believe it. Now he's not saying you're going to marvel like I'm some secondhand illusionist. I'm going to show you a card trick and I can't wait to see your reaction. He's going to say, you knew you've been waiting on signs and I'm about to show you something that is so profound. You're going to marvel. So think about this. Think about the scene then. I want to paint a picture now. You think of the scene then. Jesus is being followed by thousands of people. We're going to see, we're going to see very soon, right after this message, we're going to see another one where Jesus is around 5,000 men. Add that 5,000 women probably and add a minimum one child. You're looking at a minimum crowd of 15,000 people. You could effectively say 20 and 30,000 groupies. You would say at that time because they're so not into the knowledge. They're all, they're fascinated with who's this guy that's teaching. Look at the miracles. I'm, I'm, I would think if we were alive then, We'd probably want to see a lame man walking, a blind scene. Who wouldn't want to see that? They are following. This massive crowd is following. They're marveled. Jesus has now gone into a village, into a city, where an advance party has gone to say, all right, we need accommodations for our people coming, and we need to make food resources are available. And by the way, the gossip mill has hit. The gossip mill has hit. They have run to the church leaders, and they have said, this Jesus is coming. He's going to be here. And if you don't think they didn't know what was coming, they were ready for this. And so all of this expectation has been built up, both good and bad. Jesus gets there and he walks into the temple. He go, he not only, he's, he's picking fights. I, mean, he's, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Braveheart. Remember when uh, he gives a speech and one of the guys, uh, William Wallace gives a speech and they look at him and they say, well, that was a great speech. What are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to go pick a fight. Just this, this is Jesus picking a fight. Jesus is, is he heals a man. He does it on the Sabbath, right? You know what I mean? His disciples in, in the Synoptic Gospels are saying, Jesus, you can't heal on the Sabbath. He's like, you just watch. We're going to go do it right in front of the temple. He picks the other fight, the third fight, walks into the temple, puts his arm around the guy, says, how you doing? The trial that was on, the people were accusing the, we forget this sometimes. They were after the man who was healed. Jesus walks in. This is to me, this is just, just coming to me, see if this makes sense. I'm excited. Jesus, is, this is a substitutionary role. It's one of the first times. I should write this down. This is like, I'm impressed that my mind, think, Jesus walks up to a man who's being accused at that moment and says, I got this. He looks around, he says, uh, I'll answer you. The, the heat went immediately off of that man onto Jesus. So now take it into 2018. I've just asked you to imagine you're being chased down. You're being, people are conspiring to kill you. You get to your home. You walk in your home. There's somebody standing down. Looking, you're looking at the end of a gun barrel. They are pulling the hammer back to take your life. 
think of what you would say. And yet Jesus looks down the barrel of the people and he says this, I want to tell you some things you're going to marvel about. You, you have to be the most confident person in the world to look down the barrel of a gun and say, wait till you see these things that you're going to stand in wonder of. No fear. There's, he's, he's telling him, wait, wait, you see what's going to happen. I'm going to show you incredible things. Verse 21. He goes on, he says, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, all through here. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. That's a profound statement. He basically saying, my Father gives life, the Son gives life. He's speaking, by the way. He goes from first person to third person constantly in this message. You see this dichotomy. It's working all the time. Uh, Jesus is one who... Uh, children run up to, children run to and grab a hold of. A child is not going to run to some grumpy old man. Not going to do it. A child is going to, they have a discernment that's just crazy. Jesus knows these children run it up to him. He loves them. There's this humble, meek Jesus, but there's also this Christ that receives worship. I mean, he, he talks himself about being the servant, and yet when people start worshiping, he receives it. When Jesus walks into a village and the demonic-filled people see him and recognize him, they call him out not by Jesus, but by the title of Christ. And he's never even been introduced as the title of Christ. And he looks at him and he says, you'll say nothing of it and you'll stand down and you will shut down. You see this magnificence of this person in the flesh that, that children ran to who walked in with all the confidence to say, my father is not the only one who gives life, but I give you life. This has got to be befuddling the leaders at the time. Jesus says in verse 19, um, have I read that one yet? Yeah, we're down to 21, right? 20, let me go 21 again. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to all to whom he will. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son. Okay, stop right here. That's a big statement. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Every word they have uttered has been the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. Jesus is not only saying, oh, by the way, my Father and everything he wishes to do, I do it. Wait, not your, not your Father, my Father. And I know him very well. He's my Father. I'm going to give you life. And by the way, my Father casts no judgment on you. This is huge. If you blank out for the rest of the sermon, get this one, get it. This is big. This is so big that if you don't believe, this is a huge part of believing is this. Jesus is saying, my Father does not condemn you. Think about this. Condemnation does not come from God. We are the ones that condemn ourselves. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I am, I am the judge. And so people that start believing him start thinking, man, he's the judge, he's the judge. When all of a sudden, here it is, I'm going to give you the end of the story. He gets to the cross and he says, for all the things that I have had the power to condemn you, I put them on me. It's so whenever you hear a country preacher say, would you believe in Jesus that he sacrificed himself for the judgment of your sin, that is what he means. 
Jesus says, I have come to bring judgment. They had no idea that at the very moment in which the proverbial banging of, 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 the, uh, of, of the, the moment where this is it, this is over, the condemnation is going to come, Jesus' words are, I forgive them, it is finished. You and I, as believers, are not condemned. Jesus put all of that on his shoulders. That's, I mean, it's a, that's a powerful verse. Verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So here, in this particular case, Jesus is saying, the only way you're going to know this eternal life is through me. The only way you're going to know my Father is through me. And and when you see this, and it says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Meaning, this is why we are doing this evangelism class in the month of June. It's because you got a guy who used to wear a white shirt, a blue tie, and and a blue badge, and knock on your doors, a Mormon who got saved, saw what was going on, and realized, man... I want to just train. Rick is, I've known Rick forever. You know, he's over at Idlewild, and this guy is just a great, humble servant. And he volunteered to come in for four weeks to teach us how to, how, what to do when someone knocks on your door like that and basically says, well, Jesus is a good guy. Hey, he's okay. We believe he's a good teacher. No, I mean, I'm not, I can't begin to tell you how heretical that is. I mean, you've just thrown out the Bible. You've just thrown out any connection to God. You cannot say, oh, he's a good guy. I mean, only a crazy man is going to say he's God. Or he's God. That's it. And so in, in this particular case, when we get in this class, it's not like a class you're going to go home with like, oh, you know, we've got homework to do. We're going to put some tables in here. Some awesome people are going to do some cooking and we'll have the food in the kitchen. It starts at 6.30, but if you want to get here at 6.15, grab a plate. We'll have the food going the whole night. Just come and and grab a seat, bring a a notepad, and just start absorbing and realizing what it's like. And he's going to go through and teach us how to witness to those who's most incredibly difficult, our family. People that you're close with. People who, I know you. I want to get around you. He's going to just share some wisdom. And so it's, we're not building this as the fifth gospel of like, you know, this guy's going to come in and tell us something neat. This, I'm just telling you, let's just take a month. We take a break and we come in and we learn together. And we get the fellowship together too. So, um, where, where verse am I at? 24? 25? 25. Truly, truly, here it is again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. So that's huge, by the way. They've constantly rested on the time an hour is coming. An hour is coming. He says, it is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. By the way, confusing verses to those of you who have, there have been people come to me after funerals and have wept and said, what does this mean? Is this talking about eternal sleep? Let's see what the question comes up out of here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. Because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Without trying to teach 
a whole lot on this section because there, this bleeds into a lot of section. Let me be very clear. If you have lost a loved one, and that loved one was in Christ as a believer, it, it's not for us to say who we know believes. Jesus has given explicit instructions, but only God knows the heart and the soul of everyone. We believe, and we will stand on this, and I will stand, and I will defend this to my dying day. When you are absent with the body, you are present with the Lord. That is found in Corinthians. That is found throughout Scripture where we see there is a presence with the Lord. There is spiritual resurrection. There is bodily resurrection. This is referring to a physical resurrection. It is not referring to the soul that enters the presence and the company of God. You know what's pretty neat is I, I, you know, I'm around a lot of younger folks being a college pastor for so long. And I really hit me one day. I was like, you know, I'm never going to see you get old. It's going to be really weird. <laughs> I kind of like to see you go through the agony I'm going to go through. And, but, I've, but I won't see you get old. But also this, hit, this thought hit. I will never not know you. Isn't that amazing as believers? We will never not know each other. We will always know who each other are. As believers, that's what we have in this family. And it's just remarkable. We go on to read verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. When you see the beginning of that, I can do nothing on my own. Imagine the arrogance. And I'm not calling you out. I'm not calling anybody specifically out. I'm not look, if I look at you, it's not like I'm, I'm identifying and saying, Caitlin, you're living in, you know. I, I want you to hear, hear me in this one. When I can do nothing on my own. Think about how many churches are split because, or divided because we simply say, I want it my way. You know what I love about our church? We don't have a lot of things. I mean, we don't. It's not like we have, you know, we have this resource or that resource, this resource. You know what know, you know, we don't have here? It's remarkable. It's guarded drama. It is so nice. You know what? I, it is not like this camp who waits out in the hallway and says, I don't like that music. I'm not coming in. I, I ate dinner with Colin and Pam Thomas a few weeks ago. sat down with them. And every time I go over there, he plays all these. I mean, he breaks out the 1930s um, style of music. He's like, oh, let me break out the guitar. He starts singing. And he throws in an Elvis tune in there. And, and then he says to me, he goes, you know, I love those songs. They're not my songs. But you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, can I bottle you up and record the heart of him? Say, and, and, but you know what? It's also the responsibility up here. Wes and those guys, they don't, the band doesn't sit around and go, let's push every button and see if we can't inflame. <laughs> we, we don't do that. We run middle of the road. That's what we try to do. We try to blend, blend in music that's just, it's, we just try to do our best. And you know what's cool? You do your best. We have a rule here. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that sits there and begrudges everything. Wow, look at the music. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that says you can't do this and you can't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that says we can do this and we can do that, so we're going to show it off there. Don't be, don't be that guy. Jesus is saying, I am not that guy. I can come in here and do whatever I want, yet I do everything based on what my Father has me do. I do nothing on my own. Imagine if we carried that spirit of walking in here saying, I lay everything down 
that I have in my, my own personal aspirations, my own wants and needs, and say, I move in here corporately together with my brothers and sisters of all ages. There's a lot more diversity you'd love to see in here that would be cool over time, different color and skin. But you know what's pretty cool? We don't do such a bad job with age. We have every age range in here, and it's beautiful. It means something. It means that you're coming here saying, I'm not trying to look for something that looks just like me. And so I compliment you for that. I thank you for that. And um, we even got the ugly, like Ray over there. You know, he's in... <laughs> Verse 31. You don't know how he talks to me. You don't even know. <laughs> Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about my, myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, this is a huge line. And by the way, I appreciate you. I know it's a lot of verses, but we're running through them. But hey, when Jesus is speaking here, this is not a time for like a, a, a cute action verse, right? This is, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus is not saying, you can't believe my word alone. What he's saying is this, you know you need testimony. And there are people that have given testimony about me. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Who is Jesus talking about? He's picking a fight. He's talking about John the Baptist. See, here's where they're in a pickle. These Jewish leaders have recognized John the Baptist is a prophet. They've already said, oh, he's a prophet. You've got to listen to this guy. Go to hear his teaching. Go listen to him. And now he says, uh, oh yeah, that prophet... He says exactly who I am. I mean, he is like just thrown out a defensive argument to them that they cannot get past. Look at 33. You sit to John, and he is born witness to the truth. By the way, that verse right here, we are only reading words that are like 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed. We are only reading words that were put in scripture, holy scripture for us to read. Knowing this, Behind every set of words are a thousand words or ten thousand words that can describe that sentence. When they said, you sent to John, he's born witness about me. Can you imagine the party that they sent to go get John to bring him in? The journey, who knows if he was beaten up, who knows what was going on at this moment in time. And he's been interrogated. So this one line, really powerful. Don't, don't miss that. Verse 34. Now that the, not that the testimony that I receive is from man... But I say these things that, so you might be saved. Two powerful thoughts in verse 34. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man. Jesus is basically saying, you need a testimony. You've been told in Isaiah, you'll get witnesses. And there's people going to be testifying about me. I don't need it. Jesus is saying, you don't need to tell me I'm the son of God because I know him. And he's about to break it down really cool. He threw the first curveball to say, you recognize John the Baptist. John the Baptist knows me witnessed about me and testified about me. I'm about to throw you another one. But in this one, he says, not that this testimony, I don't need this. I could just come in here and testify by myself. But then watch this line. This, this next thing is pretty powerful to me. This is on par with Jesus going up and showing compassion to a lame man. And here it is. You walk into that home, the people have been trying to kill you, your entire adult life, you know what's going on. You walk in, you look at the person down the barrel of the gun, the person trying to kill you, and what do you say? I want you to know how to have eternal life. 
Jesus is not picking a fight to prove who's right. Perfection and being right has nothing to do with godliness. It doesn't. He says, I'm saying these things. I'm sitting here calling you out not to make you a fool in front of your believers, not to make a mockery of this church. I am saying these things. You will be saved. That's a powerful thought. This is Jesus looking at his accusers, the people trying to kill him. He goes in and he tells them these things. He says, I'm saying this so that you're going to be saved. Verse 35. He was a burning and shining lamp. And you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. This is, this is huge, by the way. His voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Go back to verse 37 if you would. So, he, he, he got him on the John the Baptist one, right? You recognize John the Baptist as a prophet? He says, I'm who I am. What are you going to say about that? Now he comes and he says, the father has sent me. Born witness to me, his voice you've never heard. They know the only one who heard the voice of God that they, that they recognized, the one that they, that they knew heard the voice of God was Moses. He says, his voice you've never heard. His form you've never seen. His for, the, the one who would have seen, would have, would, the, 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 the other father of the, of, of the Jewish faith would have been Jacob. He says, you've never seen his four. Look at verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you. Every Jewish scholar would have known that one who the word abided in was, was Joshua. So he says, you believe in Moses, you believe in Jacob, and you believe in Joshua. And I'm telling you, for all, one of them heard him, one of them felt him, one of them saw him. You are looking at all of them. He says to these priests, you have more than the Moses, you have more than all the fathers, you have right now the privilege of seeing me, of hearing me, and touching me, and knowing me. You have more than everything you've ever studied your entire life. These priests have to be looking at him and to think, are you ready for this one? This is going to, this one's going to blow your mind, if you never really thought about this. These priests had more than Moses had. We, because we're on the other side of the cross, have more than these priests ever had. For we know now that Jesus was not here to condemn us to hell. That Jesus put all the condemnation on himself. Jesus, the one who gave us and introduced to us the Holy Spirit. So now here, you and I stand here greater than Moses, greater than priests, greater than the established church. We stand here as prince and princesses. We have been compared, and we've seen this in scripture, where when, when, when people were asked, Jesus, your mother is outside, your brothers are outside. He goes, no, this is my mother. This is my brother. This is my sister. This is Jesus telling you the compassion is still there. That I walk up to you and I give you the light of life. You may not be lame and you cannot walk. 
but you can be lame of spirit and I can break that. You can be destroyed by insecurities and fears and wonders your whole life. I can break that because all these other things you've always been afraid of, they're nothing for all the hopes you've ever had and all those things of, well, you know, I, I kind of have, uh, you know, a, a proverb that I, he says, I am the proverb. I am. In everything Jesus is saying here is, I can make life new. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. Verse 41. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Verse 41, when he says, you do not um, receive, I did not receive glory from people. That's a stinging part on them. He's basically saying, yeah, you, you want glory and recognition from others. I, I don't do that. And then he comes in to say, back in, in verse 42, he said, when he says, but I know. He's saying this, I know you. And you do not have the love of God within you. You talk about, you could call me anything. You call me anything. You, 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 this, uh, you say, I don't have the love of God. And, you know, if, if, if you're not a godly person, I, re- I don't know if I'm going to godly react. I'm like, that's a big accusation. Jesus is saying, you don't have the love of God within you. But keep in mind, he's not chewing them out. He's not yelling at them. He's doing this. Why? So that they might be saved. You're going to throw a life preserver to someone who's floundering around in the water. You're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, I think if you can 10 degrees to the left, I think you just you grab the life savior, listen to me, focus. You're, you're going to be direct. Jesus is being incredibly direct. Verse 43, I have come in my father's name and you, did not rec- you do not receive me. If another comes in my own name, you'll receive him. Stop right here. Basically what he's saying is, you know you want a savior that doesn't look like me. You know you want a Messiah that's going to come in here and talk about how we're going to overthrow the Roman garrisons, how we're going to bring more food into play, how we're going to politicize and, and make this place new. And by the way, we would see this later when people gathered around Jesus, he took off on a lake because why? They were trying to make him a king. So he says, you know you didn't want me. And, and by the way, just to stop for a little confession, I remember talking to Jack Clem about this. I said, you know, Jack, can I be clear? There's a, like... In case you don't know, like, we all have, we all have our, our weaknesses, right? You know, I watch Fox News too long. I start getting wrapped up in it. I grab my musket and go to D.C. and do something about it, you know? And I sit there and I watch this and I'm thinking, I know there's parts of me that need correction. And if you told me that we were meeting in here in 2018 as Creekside Church and the Messiah had not yet come and all we have is the Old Testament... Can I tell you, can I be honest with you? If you told me out of some obscure alley in Detroit, Michigan, came a savior who, by the way, was going to take his, the bus down here to meet us, and he grabbed every kind of two-bit criminal and, and, and worker who couldn't write his own name on a piece of paper, is he was going to come down here and teach us what religion is all about? Can I tell you? and confess to you, I think I would have a problem with it. And I say this only to say sometimes it's so easy for us, so far away and removed, to cast judgment on these priests and these, and these guys and say, man, look at these guys. 
and we bring them up in a church presentation, and we want, you know, like, man, all evil, you're going to be the evil priest. All they knew was tradition. They had had 400 years of silence before them. They were getting all of this at, with no internet advance. They were getting this by word of mouth. Who knows how much word, you know what word of mouth looks like, right? By the time they get it, they're thinking, they don't know what they're freak they're going to look at. And then all of a sudden they meet Jesus. He certainly doesn't look like what they thought. That's just the reality. And then Jesus comes in and says, I know you wanted something that looked a lot greater than I am. Somebody who would politicize this place. But I've come here to tell you who my father is. And I've come here to tell you that I am the one who brings judgment. This has got to be so new. And he says this, I say this so that you might be saved from yourselves. Verse 44. Four, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Wow, this is stinging. Ready? Moses, on who you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Verse 47, last verse. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? He looks at him and says, you have pinned your entire life on Moses. Your entire life is based on Moses and I'm here to tell you he's spoken all about me. And if you won't believe me, you'll believe him. And then that final verse he says, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let me make a times you don't make sweeping statements in life i just don't like somebody corrected me 10 years ago and i just 15 years ago, i just don't make sweeping statements except for heavy theological statements i can stand on sweeping statements meaning like oh don't worry about the little things that's absurd you know if you've got a transmission that you think is going to drop out there on your way home you got a right to worry about it i think here's a sweeping statement i can stand on If you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you don't believe that he is the Savior of the world, you cannot believe this. I went to a funeral one time where I I saw this guy. He was was a a cousin of the one who died, and he's walking around with kind of like that Hotel Gideon's Bible, you know, that he's got it grasped to his chest, and he's like, man, yeah, just holding this for comfort. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I got to talking to him. I was like, you know, the Lord is really, you know, He's, right now is when you prioritize everything, isn't it? He's everything. He said, yeah, it's kind of hard to buy into that, to be honest with you. You know, and if you, and I'm trying to say this, I, I, was, I, was, I feel like sometimes I'm angry when I preach. I'm not. I'm just so intense about it. Like, let me smile to get this point across. You cannot believe Jesus is a good person and a teacher and an enlightener you can't and say you believe the Bible. You can't. You've just exploded this thing and set, detonated an explosion on the very Word of God. Everything the Bible points to is the arrival of Jesus. Everything about Jesus points to the validity of this Word. They work hand in hand. And that is why you fall into one of two camps. He's either... I mean, uh, uh, 
this this Jesus is is either an absurd individual because only a crazy person says they're God. You know that. Or God says he's God. Which is why we firmly believe what we do. And if Jesus walked in here and he would say to them, I don't think, do things on my own. I do what the Father does to me. How does that convict you and me? How many times have we pushed off decisions in our life? Because of me. I remember I got baptized at 23. I was sharing with a friend the other day. I was like, yeah, I, I went to get baptized. And I, I didn't, oh, I was sprinkled. Don't do that to me. Like, you're not going to, 23, I'm not going to get baptized. Tell me. Like, only little kids get baptized. And sure enough, on a Wednesday night, who was I baptized with? A little five-year-old kid, you know? Every excuse I had was based on me. And there are times when you sit there and say, ah, oh, yeah, this, maybe this song could be, or maybe I wish this would happen, or I wish we did. We need to convict ourselves and ask ourselves. Now, I'm not pointing to you with a long finger saying this. I'm saying this because we all do. What part of us individually needs to die? For if Jesus, the one we worship, who we pin all of our hope on, if he says, I do nothing outside of my Father's will, how dare we stand in his presence to say, but I had my own desires. I had my own wishes. And I had my right. How dare we say that? And I close with this. And thank you for listening. You guys have been phenomenal. I know it's a lot of verses to walk through. But think of the irony. They caught Jesus at that moment. Well, they thought they caught him. He walks into the temple, finds a wounded man, and they created a trial around him. I mean, they're just, they just start blasting into him. But did you notice, this is cool, the one who was on trial ended up putting the entire world on trial. <laughs> I mean, he just didn't come back with the defense. He came back with the offense and said, I am putting you on trial. The one who you're trying to judge, I am the only judge. I am the one who brings condemnation. I am telling you, this is the right truth. And there it is. At that moment is where the compass turned and north became south and south became north. That was the speech that rocked the foundation of the very religion that the Jews held on to and the one that we adhere to. What a magnificent thing. What a beautiful thing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your truth. Lord, thanks for your scripture. Thanks for the opportunity to grow closer to you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, like we mentioned, of walking in here to worship freely. But Jesus, quietly in our own minds, before thinking about lunch or before thinking about the weekend plans, before life rushes in our minds. Father, would you convict us right now of those areas that we have been selfish? Show us as individuals. Show us as leaders. Show us as a church. Where are those areas that we have not sought to do your will? the way you sought to do your fathers. God, break down our spirits. Humble us. Lord, do so gently, we pray. 
that we can see what we have to do as a church. We thank you for each and every one here. Thanks for the time they took. Thanks for the visitors, and we pray they feel welcomed. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.